Hello, this is Allison Carter with the Milestones Podcast. This is episode 88. And in light of the recent global pandemic, I thought I would throw together a quick show on providing early intervention services in the current situation. Many therapists are changing from in-person therapy to using telehealth to provide services, something that is being fast-tracked by a lot of us right now. Not necessarily because we want to, but because we have to. For those of you who have been providing early intervention services, i.e. therapy in the natural environment with the birth to three population, this should theoretically be a pretty seamless transition. Now, that doesn't mean it won't take some getting used to and some major changes will obviously have to happen. However, the ideal early intervention services are based on family education, family training, family support. If you have already been providing services following this model or one similar to it, you should still have similar success with providing services distantly. You have already set the stage for this type of therapy, and you have the rapport with the families that you need to continue with this through video or phone conferencing. Now, for those of you who provide only direct therapy and have less of a focus on family education, this will be a more difficult transition for both you as the therapist and the families involved. In this case, you will have to create a new dynamic in your relationship. That's not to say it won't be successful though. And in fact, it will hopefully pave the way for their future. Meaning when the social distancing and quarantining is all over with, and you go back to in-person visits again, you will hopefully be able to continue with this parent education philosophy now. It is definitely easier to do this in person, obviously, But if you are like me, you are jumping headfirst into implementing telehealth, teletherapy in your practice. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services issued a statement this week based on the nationwide public health emergency with COVID-19. I have posted the link to this full statement in the show notes for this episode. The gist of the statement is that they have given all medical, medical providers the freedom to provide telehealth to their clients without limitations. Where we would under usual circumstances be limited or restricted by regulations, those have been lifted for the time being. That includes things like only using um, a HIPAA-compliant platform. One of the statements in the notice says, quote, Under this notice, Covered healthcare providers may use popular applications that allow for video chats, including Apple FaceTime, Facebook Messenger video chat, Google Hangouts video, or Skype to provide telehealth without risk that OCR might seek to impose a penalty for noncompliance with the HIPAA rules related to the good faith provision of telehealth during the COVID-19 nationwide public health emergency, end quote. And the OCR is the Office for Civil Rights, which is under the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. 
The only actual provision that I did notice in the statement is that they don't want you to use things like Facebook Live, Twitch, or TikTok, or any other applications that are considered to be public-facing. You are encouraged to use video platforms that are HIPAA-compliant, but they do say they will not impose penalties for those providers that use other applications as long as they're not those public-facing ones. In case you were wondering, some of the applications that they listed as HIPAA-compliant are things like Skype for Business, Zoom for Healthcare, Doxy.me, Updocs, VC, and Google G Suite Hangouts Meet. Again, those are all listed in that document. I have um, posted a link to that in the show notes. Of course, one of the obstacles to using video chat or video applications for teletherapy is that the families you work with may not be able to access a computer or a device that will allow them to chat with you in this way. They may not have um, internet capabilities. If both of you have iPhones, then you can use FaceTime, but if not, then you will most likely just have to have a regular phone conversation. Again, as long as they have access to a phone, which I say the majority of people probably do at this point in time. Another piece of this to consider is that while you are having these conversations, whether video or phone, you need to be in a separate room or area from other people in your location. Most likely you are at home, at least I hope you are. If so, you need to find a private room where you can close the door while you're talking with the families. Having a good internet connection is obviously extremely helpful in this situation. Um, We did have an IFSP meeting this week on Zoom, and one of the participants who happened to be the service coordinator that lives in a rural area where she has internet, but the connection was not very strong. This did make the meeting a little difficult because there was probably a 10 to 15 second delay for her. So when the family or I would start talking, she would start talking at the same time, but she didn't know that we were already talking because of the delay. We were able to complete the meeting and get all of the information that we needed. We just had to make some adjustments and everybody was pretty understanding about the situation. The parent and I could easily talk back and forth with no delay. So if you have a good internet connection, it can work seamlessly. The parents and I ended up mostly just letting the service coordinator do most of the talking so that we didn't interrupt the flow of the meeting too much. And we can have our own conversation the rest of this week and and the weeks coming up about any other details they maybe wanted to talk about in the meeting. Getting back to the therapy consultation piece of teletherapy, how do we do this? Well, as I said, it will be hopefully similar to what you've already been doing. Of course, a major difference is that you will not have any hands-on direct contact with the infant or child at all. Whereas during in-home, in-person visits, we often do have direct contact with the child, meaning we may demonstrate to a parent how to help an infant, let's say, get from laying on their tummy to pushing up on their hands and knees 
as a simple example. This would require or is easier to do with some hands-on contact, but then the idea is that the parent would try it um, after you demonstrate it to them. And you can show them or assist them in how to do it if they need additional demonstrations or help with it. So since we can't be there to demonstrate these types of things or other things similar, we have to become really good really quickly at just explaining it. Now, ideally, you're able to do a video conference with the family. This would make things a lot easier, so that way you can at least see them and you can see what they're doing and you can try to help direct them while watching them. You can also see how the infant or the child is reacting and responding to what the parent is doing in that situation. We are supposed to be good observers, so this is an excellent time to use that skill of observation to assess the situation the best that you can. If you are not able to do a video conference with the family and you can only do a phone or some type of audio conference, this will obviously be a lot more difficult to direct them. It can be done though. It will just require you to be a really good communicator, asking a lot of questions and getting all of the details possible so that you can get a good picture of their situation. If they have a way to send some video clips or some pictures of the child, that would be a good way to let you have some type of visual on the situation. And hopefully they can email or text these to you prior to your conversation or maybe during your conversation so that you have some kind of a visual reference too. Videos and pictures can be really helpful, not only with motor skills, but with feeding, language, social, cognitive, really all the areas of development. The focus here has to be on parent education now more than ever. This is a critical time to address what their concerns are and those concerns may be different than they were the last time you were at their house. Their concerns may also be outside of your scope of practice. If so, you should let them know that but you can also be a person that they can voice their concerns to, even if you can't actually help them with some of those concerns. Many families are most likely dealing with staying home more and issues that may come up with not only figuring out ways to help keep their family safe from getting sick or getting coronavirus, having enough food or money or supplies to last however long we might need them to, probably all of the things the rest of us are concerned with at this point, or if you're not, you might soon be. But they may also be focusing on the day-to-day difficulties their child with special needs might have, things that were already concerning before the virus came along, and things that they might be coming up now in addition to those previous concerns now that the virus is around. As you're working from home more and starting to use telehealth as a means to provide therapy to your families, this is an excellent time to put together those resources that you always wanted to get together for people. You can check online for things that other therapists and teachers have already created and start saving those files or printing things that relate to what you do and the families that you serve need. If you can't find what you're looking for, Take the time now to create those for yourself and for your families. 
you have the time to create the resources, handouts, worksheets, or whatever you might need to give to your families. They will benefit from you making or finding the resources that are specific to their concerns or needs. This may be things like typing up bullet points for one family on their feeding plan. Specifically outline what they're working on now and what you want them to try next. These are probably things that you've talked about um, with them already, but now you can specifically outline them for them uh, in a visual way. Give them ideas on what to look for and why they're looking for those things. Explain what things mean to them. Use this time and this format to give them more educational materials than you probably normally do. They might have the time to read through them right now, and they might appreciate the insight into your brain as well. There are a lot of things that we know and understand, but we don't always completely explain to families, not because we don't want them to know, but we just don't always think of it or consider that they might want more background information into why we suggest things that we suggest. This is an excellent opportunity to give them that information. Uh, Most of my in-person visits are authorized at 60 minutes per session, whether it's one time per week or one time per month or whatever the case might be for each family. Understand that it may not be plausible to have a full 60-minute phone conversation or even video conference every time we talk to them. Consultation sessions may end up being 30 minutes at a time. Maybe you do it twice a week instead of your 60 minutes one time a week. It could be 30 minutes one time this week and 45 minutes one time next week or any combination of minutes depending on each individual situation. It could be as simple as a 15-minute phone conversation just to check in real fast, especially with families who might have fewer concerns, ones that you are already only seeing one time a month or just monitoring and checking in as needed. Don't feel obligated to keep them on the phone or video for the full 60 minutes at this point is basically what I'm trying to say. I know that as a therapist, you want to be able to bill for your regular amount of times, but that just may not be appropriate right now. It really just depends on a case-by-case situation, and we need to consider what is best for each family and what their needs are week to week. I would love to hear from everyone on what early intervention services are looking like in your area right now. In Missouri, I can tell you that the Birth to Three program has completely shut down any in-person therapy or meetings. All therapies and meetings are now either being held through video or phone consults, or the families have opted to place all therapies on hold for now. We are doing this to hopefully slow down the potential spread of the coronavirus, and I hope that other states are doing this also. Even though we want to see our families directly face-to-face and continue working as usual, we don't want to put those families and our own families at risk for spreading this virus if possible. This week, I heard about two kids under the age of 18, but I don't know their actual specific ages, that tested positive for the coronavirus in the Kansas City area. 
One of them was tested at Children's Mercy Hospital emergency room, one of the locations in the area. And most, if not all of the families that I work with have regular visits at the Children's Hospital weekly or monthly due to ongoing medical and developmental issues. So this is a huge concern for those families. On one end, we don't want them to be at the hospital and become exposed to the virus, but then we also can't be going to, into their homes as providers and potentially spreading the virus to the rest of our clients' homes and putting them at risk as well. I can only hope that other states are following the same protocols of limiting therapists to consultation visits only. Check out my Instagram account today for a new post where you can message and let everyone know what the EI services are looking like in your area right now. Thank you for listening and check back soon for my upcoming episode on sleep issues that I've been working on for quite a while, but I had to put them on the back burner this week in order to bring this quick episode to you guys. 